Bereshit, Berah, Elohim, Et Hashemim, Be'et Ha'eretz. Bereshit, Berah, Elohim, Et Hashemim, Be'et Ha'eretz. Bereshit, Berah, Elohim, Et Hashemim, Be'et Ha'eretz. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Genesis 1-1. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. That was the uh, Ramsey family, uh, their five-year-old son and his older brother, and then mom and dad on the English part. We're in Genesis. We're doing a series in Genesis, uh, and uh, the theme of it is Genesis, back to the, back to the basics, and uh, we repeat Genesis 1-1 every week. That was it in Hebrew and in English, just in case you were wondering, and you could see the text up there if in case you want to you could read that. I don't know if anybody here might could, but uh, it's up there. Today, we're calling this sermon, My Three Sons. Now, you've got to be my age or older to, to get that. Um, I'm almost not old enough, but I do remember watching it. Don't remember anything about it, except it was a dad wearing, I think, wingtips and playing a funny-looking accordion or something at the beginning, and he had three boys and an uncle lived with them, and that's all I know. But, uh, but th- there were these three boys, but I'm old enough now to realize that no matter how many children you might have, every one of them's different. Y'all notice that? If you've got multiple children, you, you know what I'm talking about. And, uh, and, and you know, it, it's like when a child is young, you have a, a child, you just got these hopes and dreams and ideas in your head, and they're pretty much unrealistic. No person could live up to what you're thinking. But, but we love that when children are born, because it's, you know, we know we messed up, and we hope they won't, you know, uh, kind of thing. Well, the problem is Adam sinned, and the first child they had, he sinned. It, it was really rough. And in chapter 4, we see the first three sons listed of Adam. And uh, the very first one that is born turns out kind of bad. And I'm going to go ahead and warn you because I'm calling this my three sons. There's three boys here. But the, but the weight of the chapter is on that firstborn and how he, what he did and how he kind of messed up. And uh, he didn't kind of mess up, messed up big time. But, uh, and, and so I'm going to say more about him than the other two. Um, the second son, Abel, and by the way, as soon as Adam and Eve were Abel, they raised a little cane. But um, that was bad. By the way, those pirates, can you tell they're teachers? Which reminds me of my favorite pirate joke. What is a pirate's favorite letter? No, C. But anyhow... You'll think about that later, maybe. But anyway, but, uh, but, but the balance of this, this chapter is on Cain. But Abel, you can sum him up. He was born, he did good, and his brother killed him. All right? So we've covered Abel now. But I will say a little bit more about him later. But, but I'm not going to read the whole text. But I want to read the opening verses and, and because it sets a scene for us so that we can understand the rest that God is trying to tell us. It says, Now Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain, saying, I've gotten a man with the help of the Lord. And again she bore his brother Abel. Now Abel was a keeper of sheep, and Cain a worker of the ground. 
In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground, and Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of, the fat, and of their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. So Cain was very angry, and his face fell. In, in these opening verses, again, it, it sets a scene for us. We have, we've come out of chapters 1 and 2 where we have the creation story and the creation story repeated. In chapter 3, we see uh, Eve uh, being uh, deceived by Satan and Adam sinning uh, by willfully taking and eating of whatever fruit that was. We don't know what it was. It, everybody says apple, but it was, we don't know it was an apple. We don't know what it was, but he ate of that fruit. And, and so man fell, and that's where we left him. They've been thrown out of the garden. Cherubim are now guarding the Garden of Eden. Guarding the Garden of Eden. I said that very South Carolinian. Guarding the garden, all right? So, you, sorry about that. You got to be from South Carolina to know what I said. Guarding the Garden of Eden. But what I want you to remember as we go through this is we can only come to God on his terms, not on our own. So many people, and Cain was one of them, that wants to come to God his way. And Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man can come to the Father but by me. You don't get to pick and choose how you come to God. You come to God only one way, and that is through the Lord Jesus Christ. And uh, I, I really appreciate singing the songs today, but that first one especially, um, it, you know, when we sing it, I, I know how we think, because I am one of we. Uh, so many times we think about the church we're sitting in, like, we will be a bride waiting for a groom. It's not talking about just this church. It's talking about the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. In every visible local assembly, that church is present. But there are also tares among the wheat. And the Bible says that God is going to be washing out all our blemishes and ironing out all our wrinkles before he comes and gets us. And I think, just, I'm, just let me say this briefly, and I can't go into any depth of this at all. But I believe that, that as Americans, other, church, other people around the world already know it, but we, we, we are kind of slow to the table here. We have seen a glimpse, a taste, just a very a dipping of a finger in the whatever it is and touching our tongue with it. That if we learn nothing else in the past year, it is this. Buildings aren't so important. Programs are not so important. What is important is people and the worship of the Lord Jesus Christ. If you didn't learn anything else, it's that. The, the church around the world, most, many of them are in suffering and turmoil and persecution. And so they get it. They, they, they don't have the luxuries we have. And, and we've learned that. And before Christ comes back, I believe around the world there will be persecution of the church. And the church will be crying out, wanting to be right with God and, and expecting Jesus. A lot of us don't look forward to his coming because we're doing okay. It's only when you realize that this world is not your home and the world makes you realize this world is not his home that you start to long for something better. Well, all of that started back there with Adam and we come today to his firstborn son, Cain, and his two brothers. And so we're going to look at all of that. So th this beginning, uh, beginning verses sets the tone because in verse 1, it says, Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain. Now, an estimation, and hear me carefully, we know that Adam was 130 when Seth was born, okay? I, I, I wanted to get those facts straight. At 130, Seth was born. So 
nobody knows how old he was when Cain was born because the Bible doesn't tell us. He starts counting from Seth uh, in the next chapter, by the way, right near the beginning. So we figure, but we don't know, Adam was around 100 when Cain came along because they're old enough to be working and bringing in an offering to God. And so uh, just so you understand that, we don't know exactly how long Adam and Eve were in the garden either, but it's very possible they've been out of that garden 90 years, 99 years, 99 years and 11 months. We don't know, but they, they've been gone out of the garden a while before the very first child is born. And God made certain promises to them in chapter 3 that, that they are rejoicing at fulfilling. And here Adam knew Eve, his wife. Now, if you've been hanging around church a long time, you know that, that in the Bible, we take the words of Greek and Hebrew and we translate them into English. And when it comes to the intimacy between a man and a wife, we use this word new, uh, K-N-E-W, not N-E-W, K-N-E-W. And, uh, and, and it's the same here in Hebrew. In Hebrew, the word is yada, Y-A-D-A. Uh, never mind, I, I won't. It, that po- something pops in my head every time I say that word, and I, I don't want to say that. But yada is the, this word, and this word appears in this chapter in, in verse 1, verse 17, and verse 25, that Adam knew his wife, Eve. Now, I want to point something out. Adam knew Eve, his wife is what it says. This is the last time in, in the, this account in, in Genesis, Eve's name is mentioned. After this, it's just Adam's wife. Uh, but he, they use it here very, for a very specific reason. And it goes back to, to what I said, this fulfilling of prophecy. And look at verse 7, uh, just with me for a moment. It says there, um, in, in chapter 3, verse 7, I'm sorry, not chapter 4. And the eyes of both were open, and they knew... They were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. This is the only place in the first 11 chapters of Genesis that word new is used in that way. God is doing something special there to say that they realized something. They became intimately acquainted with their failure, and now this intimacy between a husband and wife. And God is trying to get you to think about what happened to Adam and Eve in the first verses of four. This is like if you watch a series of TV shows and now it comes on the next and it says in the last episode and does a recap. God's doing that in our mind with this word. He's making us realize that Adam and Eve knew they were sinners, but now Adam knows his wife intimately and a child is born. But this harkens back to chapter 3, verses 15 and 16, that God is keeping his promise. Look what happens in chapter 3, verses 15 and 16. The Bible says there, I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring, he's talking to, uh, to the snake, and her offspring, he shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. Being as we are on the backside of the full revelation of God, we can look back and see all that God was hinting at in those verses. But at that time, they only understood that there is going to be children born, and that's in the next verse. To the woman, he says, I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing. Now, she had not born a child when God told her this. 
Maybe uh, the other animals had, and they had seen that happen, but they had not had a child yet. But God says, in pain you'll bring forth children. Your desire will be contrary to your husband, and he shall rule over you. And so this is the promises of, God's, of God kept. And we go down to verse 20, and we see Adam's faith in God, and man called his wife's name Eve because she was the mother of all living. He is assuming that they are going to have children and that Eve will be the woman that is the mother of all living human beings. Now, there he might have been thinking about everything that's alive. I'm the king, she's the queen. It's me and her and it's only us. But we see, we can, we can easily see that Adam had faith that there would be children born, that mankind would go forward uh, even though they had sinned. And again, in chapter 4, in the first verse, this is the last time the Old Testament, Eve's name, comes out uh, as Eve. Well, let's look at the boys they had. The first one we born to them is Cain. It's the, it's the worst boy out of the first three, uh, in one sense of the word. He's the one messed up the worst. And I want you to hear what Eve said when he was born. It says that uh, Eve said, I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord. Cain is a, is a derivative of an old Hebrew word, very old. It's a play on the word that means to bring forth. And that word in Hebrew, we'd spell it in English, uh, Q-U-A-N-I-T-I, and shortened to Q-A-Y-I-N, Cain and Cain. That's how they got it. So Eve's like, we brought forth a child with the help of God. She acknowledges that if, if it hadn't been for God keeping his promises, that they would have children, that they would not have had children. This is a declaration of faith on Eve's part, that she had been trusting God and God had given them a son. That God had kept his promise. And this boy, Cain, and it says right there, that Cain was a worker of the ground. Now, remember what God had said in, in chapter 3 again, that the ground would be cursed because of the sin of Adam. And when you tried to grow crops in it, it wasn't going to work out so easily. It's going to be tough. You're going to sweat. You're going to have trouble. So Cain becomes a farmer. That's going to become very important later. But I want you to get that. Cain is a worker of the ground. He's growing food. He's growing crops. And everything seems to be okay. Well, they, the Bible just says, and then Adam knew his wife again. And they had a little boy named Abel. She bore his brother Abel. So they're probably just a year or so apart because the Bible doesn't give us all the time gaps between words and verses and things. But it seems like Cain was born, Abel's born. It's almost like a bang, bang, real fast, it happens. And so they're, they're close in age to, together. But Abel is a keeper of sheep. Now, let's get into what happened. In the course of time, we don't know what that means, just later... Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground, and Abel brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. So Cain was very angry, and his face fell. Well, that seems a bit of an overreaction, doesn't it? I mean, logically, Cain would have gone, uh, Lord, why didn't you like my offering? What? What did I mess up here? What, what, what did I do wrong? I mean, if you came and you wanted to give God something, and God goes, I don't want that. You go, sorry, I didn't mean, you know, did I offend you? What, 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 do, you want, what do you want me to do? Do you want me to bring something different? Is something going on? 
And, and scholars have tried to understand this forever, and there really is no definitive answer because the Bible doesn't really tell us, but I believe there are enough hints there that we get it. Let me tell you some stuff people have said. I thought for a long time, but I've changed my mind because I'm not infallible. God's Word is. Amen. Amen. Don't forget that. If you've got a study Bible, let me give you some advice. Never confuse the notes with the text. Okay, read the text. What does it say? Well, the text doesn't tell us what it was. But So, I, 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 you know, I've heard, well, Cain worked and he grew crops. So he was bringing his labor. And Abel brought a lamb because, or, uh, from the flock because, you know, when Adam and Eve sinned, God had to sacrifice an animal to give them clothes to wear. And he's following God's example. And God didn't like the grain. He wanted the animal. Well, here's the problem. God never told them. We don't have a record of God telling them, now always bring me an offering on a certain day. That hasn't happened yet. That hasn't happened to Moses and the wandering. I mean, it's thousands of years away before there's a, a code. And when there does become a systematic way of doing it, you can bring a grain offering. So the problem is not with the offering. The problem, let me just shorten it for you. The problem is with the attitude of the giver. Now, there's enough there that I can say that with some confidence. I would say 99% right now. Now, you know, I'm open to being wrong about that. But listen, I've read it a couple of times, and I tried not to put any emphasis anywhere. Don't know that I succeeded. But listen what it says. Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground. An offering. An offering. It's almost as if he goes, well, I got to take God some. What I got? Well, I got a big old bushel of wheat here. Here, I'll take him a scoop of wheat. There you go. And a scoop of wheat would have been fine, I guess. Abel brought the firstborn of his flock and its fat portions. When God does make a code about how to do sacrifices, he always told them to give the Lord the fat and burn that on that altar. Now, I personally believe that God was just trying to keep them healthy by not letting them eat too much fat. But brother, God likes the fat the best because he wanted it. And everybody knows that's where the flavor is, right? Man, you got to have that. That's... That, Bacon is God's seasoning for all other food, in my opinion, right? Yeah, and you got to have some fat in that stuff. If it's not fat, it's kind of tough and all that. But notice the difference in how God records this. Cain brought an offering. Abel brought the firstborn of his flock. Why is it so important? See, Abel, and let me talk about Abel a little bit. I was going to come to him later. But let me go ahead and, and cover Abel a little bit. His, his name means breath, that, uh, and I, we, nobody knows why they named him breath, but, but breath. Uh, but remember, air or breath and spirit are the same word. So God, the spirit, uh, because he's offering rightly to God. He came to God on God's terms, and his offering is accepted by God. Abel brings God the first fruit. Why does God want the first because by giving him at the beginning, you are trusting him, showing faith in him to make up any shortfall at the end. See, a lot of people, they pay all their bills and say, well, I got left over. Oh, I got some, I'll give God a five. 
let me illustrate it with a story I heard when I was a kid. So it's an old illustration, but so you may have heard it. But the offering plate's being passed like we used to, you know, moving it down the aisle. And the guy pulls out some his money out of his wallet, and he he, look, he glances down, he pulls it out, and he sits it in, and then he and he reaches, but it's already gone. His wife said, "What are you doing?" And he said, "Man, I put a fifty, and I only meant to put in a five. And she said, "It's okay. God will give you credit for five." Because that's where his heart was. See what I'm saying? So when you, you, when you give God, at the beginning you say, got paid, God, here's, here's whatever. Uh, you know, we, we talk about the tithe a lot. The tithe is a great place to start, a lousy place to stop. It's just a, a bit of a measurement. In the New Testament it says you give to God freely. You give out of your abundance. Just give to him what you got, all you can. But when you give that to him, what you're saying is, now God... I may not be able to pay my bills because I'm handing this to you. So I need you to help me at the end of the month. It is an act of faith. And God, you don't come to God and say, well, Lord, you know, I don't want to go to hell, so would you make sure I don't go to hell? But other than that, don't bother me. No, he is Lord of all or he's not Lord at all. When you surrender to God, you surrender lock, stock, and barrel. You surrender mind, soul, and spirit, and body. You give him everything you have. And that is the exchange he expects. He wants us to be fully devoted to him because he's already fully devoted to us. And I want you to understand that. So Cain brought an offering. And then we see, and I've already said it, but I want to repeat it, that, that Cain... That, that anger doesn't seem appropriate. But that indicates what's in his heart. He wants to be the best. He wants to be number one. He wants to be first. I'm the big brother. How, why are you picking my little, taking my little brother stuff? You want to take my, I'm, I'm the older guy. And you know that even from the very beginning, the firstborn of the family and was the most heir and the rest got the leftovers. That's kind of the system that was in place from early on. And God says to the oldest, and notice God's pattern. So many times it's the second born or third born or, or the despised one. Which mom gave birth to Judah out of whose tribe came Jesus? It wasn't Rachel. It was Leah. God's choice for Jacob. Just saying. And here, Cain gets angry. And so, God addresses his anger. God says, Cain, dude, what's wrong? <laughs> I, I like to put it in my language so many times. It's not a one-to-one -one interpretation, but it gets it where I can understand it. And the Lord said to Cain in verse 6, Why are you so angry? And why is your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? If you do it the right way, you'll be accepted. And if you do not do well, sin crouches at the door. Its desire is contrary to you, but you must rule over it. And that word contrary means it causes his face to fall. His face is falling. God says, why are you so angry? It reminds us that when God showed up in the garden after Adam and Eve sinned, that he said, who told you you were naked? What did you do? Now, God doesn't need that knowledge. He's trying to get Cain to look at himself and say, dude, you got a bad attitude. There's something going on. I call the sins of the attitude, I call those Baptist sins. I mean, Baptists, we, we are death on one or two sins, but all the rest, we kind of say, that's okay. 
So we think it's okay to fight in church. We think it's okay to be mad at our brothers and sisters. We think it's okay to hold a grudge. But not in God's economy. And if you don't believe me, read Galatians 5. Those who do these things and things like these shall not inherit the kingdom of God. And that's included with drunkery, drunk, drunkenness, overeating, indulgence, and anything that's harmful to us, uh, and, doing, and worshiping false gods, sexual immorality, bad attitude. To God, same thing. And Cain's got a rotten attitude. He's angry, and God says, do right, and you'll be accepted. You've got a choice. And the, 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 scholars kind of struggle with this verse because there's some words there that are so old we, we, we kind of have to figure out what, what is being said there. But I, I was raised with a cat. Now, I, I'm, I like cats. I'm allergic to them now, so I can't be around them. My wife don't li- does not like them, so we don't have any. But I grew up with a cat, a Siamese cat. And man, I like to watch that thing stalk. You ever seen a cat stalk? gets down low. I mean, they can be stone still and just move. Our cat was good at killing palmetto bugs because I'm from... South Carolina, low country, those big roaches, she stomped those things. I've seen her jump in the air and slap a fly out of the air, uh, the screen door, kill it. Man, she was, she was awesome. And they, they'll come stalking. I used to like throw something and pull it and just watch her start stalking it. That's what picture I get. He says, sin is crouched at the door. And you open that door, man, it's coming in, it's going to get you. You won't see it coming. I've seen cats, not my cat, but I've seen cats just... Sneak up on a bird. You think a bird would see it coming. I've seen it whoo, and get that, get that bird. And that's the idea here that, that sin is crouching at the door. And you crack that door, boom. Addiction is a result of making an exception. If you allow it once, you don't know what's going to happen. And so many times, because habit comes... Addiction comes from a habit, and habit comes from doing something we shouldn't have done to start with, and then doing it again. Cain has this, he's, he's got this anger, and God says, you better put that down, man. You better, the, by, by the way, the Bible says, be angry and sin not. Anger is not sin. What you do with anger is a sin. And it can, it can push you to righteous action. It can push you to sin. You got to control what it does. And God has rejected this offering, and Cain is angry, and God warns him, don't go there. And right after God did that, the Bible says in verse 8, so Cain spoke to Abel, his brother, and when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother Abel and killed him. What? Had Abel done anything to Cain? No. I mean, Cain's mad at God, not at Abel. All Abel did was do what he was supposed to do. I've seen people more angry about how someone else is treated than about how they are treated. You know what I mean? Some people will take offense for somebody else if you go to the person. I, th- I think they were just done wrong. So you go to the person they thought, say, what do you think? They go, I don't know what you're talking about. They're not upset at all, but other people are upset for them. Cain's more worried about Abel's offering being accepted than he is that God said, Cain, you messed up, man. Listen to me. I'll help you fix it. But he don't want to fix it. He just wants to be angry because that's easier. Because that, that, that feeds his flesh. And now I'm gonna get, I'll get him. I'll show him. And he kills him. Man, how crazy is that? 
By the way, I think a lot of what we are seeing in our country now, and we are seeing a lot of murder happening all over the place. You can't read the news, look at the news without people being killed. And I don't mean in warfare or gang warfare, police just doing their duty or being shot. Innocent store owners are being beaten and killed. Just, it's, it's crazy. Well, we all know that's always the devil, right? But why would somebody be moved to that kind of violence? Could it be that they're angry and they don't even know what they're angry at? But other than that, they're far from God and nobody's shared the love of God with them that God can love them too. And they need to know about God. They need to know Christ. I'm so thankful for people that work in prisons and, and ministries like Chuck Colson started and others that work there. And, and man, there's some, there's some change, radically changed lives in prisons. Well, Cain kills his brother and God comes up and says, where is Abel, your brother? Adam, where are you? Where is Abel, your brother? And he said, I don't know. Am I my brother's, oh, check that word, keeper. Adam was a keeper of the ground. Now the ground is cursed, but he's still got to keep the ground. Cain is a keeper of the ground. And God says, where is your brother? He says, what, am I my brother's keeper? I keep the ground. And God says, well, I'm going to tell you something, buddy. Look here. And the Lord said, what have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground. And now you're cursed from the ground, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you work the ground, it shall no longer yield to you its strength. You shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth. I want you to understand the implication of that. I read that a thousand times, never thought about what God was saying. Here's what God just said. You ever try to grow another thing, it will not grow. And you can't stay here, you got to leave. And he becomes a wanderer in the earth, he can't farm, what's he going to do? The earth is, you know, a hundred years old now. (laughs) What city are you going to go to? Well, it says he goes east and to Nod. He gets married, obviously. But he says, this punishment is too great. God says, you've got to get away from here. Get out of my face. He no longer can behold the face of God. He banishes him, and he says, and the ground won't help you anymore. And Cain says, my, my burden is too great for me to bear, which is more whining than anything else. He is not. In verse 13, Cain said, my punishment is greater than I can bear. Behold, you've driven me today from the ground and from your face. I shall be hidden. I'll be a fugitive and wander on the earth. And whoever finds me will kill me. The Lord said, not so. If anyone kills Cain, uh, vengeance shall be taken on him sevenfold. And the Lord put a mark on Cain, lest any who found him should attack him. And then Cain went away from the presence of the Lord, settled in the land of Nod, east of Eden. And there, Cain marries his sister. They start having children, and they build a city, and they name the city after his firstborn, Enoch. Isn't that interesting? Not the Enoch that walked with God, the Enoch that the city is named after. He becomes a builder. He starts building things. Down his lineage, and we don't have time to go through that. Maybe next week we will because the next chapter is the lineage of these boys. But they parallel. Seth's lineage and Cain's lineage start parallel, uh, parallel things. But he builds a city. And so what we learn from Cain is this, that 
when you don't, when you try to be successful in God's eyes apart from God's way, it only leads to destruction. From Abel, we learn that when you have a pure heart and you do it right, somebody might kill you. <laughs> and it may not, and you say, where is the justice in that? And you have to depend that God is present when injustice is happening. God is there when people are in need and they're troubled and are crying out. I believe Abel's in heaven. Is Cain in heaven? I don't know because I, I, I can't judge what God did ultimately with him. But we know that Abel was innocent and probably he's in heaven, which is a better place than living here. So I, I never get too distraught when God's people die because, wow, their suffering and their troubles are over. They are good now. But while we're on earth and we see that, we go, why? What happened? That just doesn't make sense. Cain gets to live and he has children. They build a city and Abel is dead and he didn't do anything wrong. God knows. And the Bible says that one day God is going to grind the wicked in the grinding wheel of his justice. And when God grinds, he grinds to powder. God, the Bible doesn't say that. That's my addition. <laughs> God doesn't just kind of grind it. He grinds it till it's just powder. So here's our hope is that you just trust God and do what you're supposed to do. Don't worry about them. You do what's right. God will take care of anything wrong in our life and theirs. But there's a third boy. Again, Adam's 130. Seth is born. Now, Seth means substitute. Because Eve said because Abel killed his brother. Cain killed his brother Abel. And so we see here at the end of the chapter 4, Adam knew his wife again, bore a son, called his name Seth, for she said, God has appointed for me, for me another offspring instead of Abel, for Cain killed him. To Seth, a son was born, and he called his name Enosh. And at that time, people began to call on the name of the Lord. When Seth is born, he's a guy who passes on the knowledge of God to his children. His son, in their day, men began to call on God. You know the last guy born to Enosh? Go down his lineage. You can look at it in the next chapter. Is Noah. And they pass on this faith. Until in Noah's day God looks on the earth. And there's only Noah. He's the righteous one. Now I'll tell you this. When we get into the genealogies. Don't have a lot of time for this. Methuselah is Noah's grandfather. And Methuselah lived longer than anybody, 996 years or something like that. It was a long time. You ask why, I'll tell you later. But, but they lived a long time. And Adam died while Methuselah was alive. I, I want you to get that. Methuselah was born and Adam was still alive 900 and something years later. Because Adam lived to be 930 years old. So, but before Adam died at 930 Methuselah had been born there's another about thousand years added that means that any family reunion people that knew Adam could talk to you nobody was ignorant of what God had done because Adam could tell them for almost a thousand years Adam is alive to say yeah <laughs> Suddenly there I was <laughs> in a garden. <laughs> and then God put me to sleep and I woke up and there was Eve. And then she ate us out of house and home. And I just, <laughs> I did that joke before too. That's a horrible joke. 
And he could tell them the story of what happened up until Noah's granddad. So Noah is just, his dad could have heard it from Methuselah, and he could have told Noah about the work of God, and Noah is calling on the name of the Lord. This is in the line of Seth. Seth is a man who is a righteous son. He, he gives God his whole heart. Abel gave God his whole heart. But men called on God, beginning with Seth's son. And what's the lesson? Our relationship to God will affect generations to come. The best you can hope for as a parent is to give your kids a chance. That you live for God in such a way that they will want to live for God too. Because let me tell you something. You can do the best job possible and your kid will rebel. You can do the worst job possible and sometimes your kid will be saved. There's no guarantee because there comes a point in every person's life where they and they alone will answer to God for the decisions they make. Don't ever forget that. And I say that so you have hope, not so you can say, oh, it doesn't matter. It does matter. But ultimately, it's every person's decision what they will do with God. And when God speaks to them, hopefully you've been enough example that when God spoke to you, you obeyed. And they see that example over and over and over and over again. Seth's son started calling on the name of the Lord. I guess he saw that in Seth. And Seth probably saw it in Adam. Because Adam had walked and talked with God in person. So I don't know where you are today, but here's some things that maybe you can decide to do this week. First of all, find your success in the will of God. Don't try to be successful in this world's ways and this world's attitude and what they think. Find your success in the will of God. Secondly, trust God when his justice doesn't line up with what you think justice is. Because David had that problem. You read the Psalms. David said, God, what's up? The wicked are prospering. And I'm over here being right, and I'm not prospering. What's going on? He said, I would have despaired had I not gone to the house of God and saw their end. They can enjoy, you know, today you're lucky. The Bible says you, you, if you live 80 years, that's a blessing of God. And some people live past that, but not very many. And, and a lot die before that. But the Bible says what's important is what happens after that. And what happens after that's what you decide to do before that. When you come to that day of death, are you ready to meet the Lord? You've got to trust God with your whole life even when it doesn't seem to make sense to you. David said, it doesn't make sense to me until I realize, wait a minute. I may be suffering now, but I know where I'm headed. They're having their best life now. Because it ain't going to be so good afterwards. Thirdly, live a life with God that will affect generations to come. I don't only want my children to follow God. I want my grandchildren to follow God. I want their children to follow God. And their children to follow God. That's, that's up to God. I know God and them. But that's not me being perfect. Because Lord and my whole family knows I'm not. I messed up as bad as anybody in here is messed up. 
But God is gracious and God is faithful. And God will keep us in the hollow of his hand. And he will still move in our life when we are wholly devoted to him. I, I thought of a verse. It's in Second Chronicles. And it's chapter 25. And I want you to hear what it says. Amaziah was 25 years old when he began to reign. And he reigned 29 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Jehoadan of Jerusalem. He did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, yet not with a whole heart. He did everything right, but God saw his heart and said, but you're just doing it to be doing it. It's not because you love me. Abel, Seth, seems like they loved the Lord with their whole heart. They gave God the best they had, not just some leftovers. 